We are in Acts chapter 19. We did part one last week, part two this week. Another action-packed chapter in Acts. As you can tell, I'm still on the road, and therefore you're going to see different backgrounds. Getting to visit uh, what we call clusters, uh, areas where there are two, three, four, five house churches that are built around uh, gathering in their own homes and homes of friends and neighborhoods to be a part of our safe harbors worship and then to take it to the streets and make it their own and it's just a beautiful thing having a great time i'm in spokane washington as i record this but when you see this i will have already been to about four other states so uh, keep me moving don't let me rust out acts chapter 19 verse 23 about that time remember there um, they've done a little split here and in a good way Paul has been working in this area and he has sent off uh, Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia, but he's gonna stay there for a while in Ephesus when things take a turn. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. We talked about this last week. The way is one of the names that people gave to the, the followers of Christ and his movement. And it seems that they use that a lot as well. I've always liked it. Uh, there are several groups that have taken it. There's one which is a cult. And so I've always thought, well, maybe I can't use that word for us that much, but it's a great term. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers and related trades. And he said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Okay, wow, there is a lot in these first few verses. Cities were run uh, at two different levels, very much like governments and nations are today, by the heads of state uh, and governmental bureaucrats, and also by corporate um, by the controlling, the control of the um, production, control of supplies and such that is done in high-level business. Back then, we all know the government bureaucracies were Roman, uh, overlaid upon a Greek culture. But the business side, these were done by guilds, and guilds were hugely important, uh, not always benign and, and bene benevolent, but important all the way up until relatively recently in European history. A guild would be like a union today, except more restrictive and more powerful. It, um, these, these were the guys that said, all right, if you want to work with silver, there are several jobs. There's smelting, there's the process of, um, of mining, there's transportation, but there's also, <coughs> excuse me, the formation of silver into different things for household, but there's also those for religious purposes and the like. And there might be a mega guild that covered all of this, but most of the time there was a guild that 
did this, a guild that did that. Today, you would have a guild that did electricians, so a guild that does plumbers. And again, there is some parallel um, with us in our modern society, but it was much more controlling back in this time. You couldn't be something if you wanted to be something, just go get trained. You had to be picked, you had to be selected, you had to go through the apprenticeships. Uh, and so these are very powerful people. And he's gathered them together saying, listen, we're in trouble because if people quit coming to see our goddess because they don't believe she's a goddess, Artemis was a female name at this stage. Most of the time you would know Artemis as Diana, uh, the huntress uh, that would hunt with wolves by the light of the moon, fascinating creature. But Artemis is what she's called in the NIV. Uh, you, you can see a statue of her in Nashville if you'd like. They built a smaller version of the Parthenon for I think some sort of state fair exhibition many years ago and left it. And so you can go into Centennial Park in Nashville and walk into Parthenon and there there is Artemis, there's Diana. Um, regardless, he's saying, listen, if people are convinced that these gods that we made by human hands are not really gods at all, we're in big trouble. Now, please understand, he was most likely a true believer in Diana. He was most likely a believer that Diana was their god, goddess, and that she was the one who allowed their culture and their people to survive. He probably wasn't being just an evil corporate, this is the only way we can get money person, but money was a huge part of this because without money you don't eat and you starve. So you can't just say he was in it for money without thinking of all the depths and tentacles involved in needing the money. Well, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do if he destroys our work, our profession, our city, and our culture? Well, when they heard this in verse 28, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Because it's well known that if you can get a large mob of people to yell something a whole lot, then it's true and the other side has to fold. They have no argument, except that it's not. And yet, to this day, you get people in large groups yelling something. It could be benign, you know, big foam fingers. We're number one at a soccer club, um, but sometimes it's politics and sometimes um, great harm occurs. And you don't, have, you don't have to be present anymore. You can do it all on Twitter. You can do it all on Facebook or Instagram. You can find a way to mob others by shouting the same thing over and over and over again. And Stalin and Hitler, all of them knew that if you yell a lie long enough, it becomes the truth to many people. So this is just humanity at work. Soon the whole city was in uproar. Um, you'll, you'll notice something. There's something very strange about it wisdom and intelligence to me. Intelligence is largely a function of genetics, but there are other factors in play. Uh, wisdom, however, is a function of the right group, picking the right group for your wisdom. And then, the, but that's not even enough. If you pick too many in that group, the IQ begins to drop. And the larger your mob is, the lower the IQ gets. People will do things in mobs they would never do as individuals. Same way that they would do things online that they would never do to your face. 
be wary of joining any of those online or in person. The whole city, the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus and Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together because that was a public place. It's where you held trials. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. In other words, Paul hears, wait, they brought Gaius and Aristarchus there. I want to go defend them. I want to preach to the crowd that's, that's, that's angry at me. And the disciples were going, no, Paul, you cannot go. I actually have a group of people. I have a board at our safe harbor, uh, male and female. And then I also have a team and I have some friends and family. And one of the many things I love about them is they know I'm not done with adventure. You know, I want to still climb that mountain. I want to see what's behind the hill. I may be 65, but I still want to climb in a slingshot and go cross country and visit this other house church. And they, they let me most of the time. But sometimes I'll get in my mind, I want to go do this. And they'll say, Patrick, your health and your stamina and the danger or whatever, we don't think you should do this. We think you should pull back. I've been um, recently approached to see if I would set up a program to help people who have been scarred by churches, harmed by them. And in particular, uh, my old tribe, and it wasn't all my old tribe, we were on the right edge, we were on the harming side. And I would love to, but my team has told me, Patrick, look, you're out of bandwidth already. So we need people to tell us no, even when we want to do good things, because you cannot do all the good things. You have to choose what things you're going to do. So they say, don't go. Even at some of the uh, officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message saying, don't go into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. And remember, nobody had control of a microphone because there were no microphones. A lot of these theaters, and I frankly do not know about the theater in Ephesus, but a lot of these theaters were constructed in an amazingly scientific, far-reaching way that even the spoken, almost whispered word on stage could be heard in the stands. But that only works if the stands are quiet. And if they're full of a mob, it's confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I love that verse because it's true. It is true so often. You know, I, you know I'm here for this. Or I don't know why, but my friends are here and we're having a good time. I don't even know why I'm here. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front. They shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they shouted all in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You know, we're just, I don't think we're any better. After 2000 years, I just don't think we're any better. But at least we reading through the book of Acts should get our brains in gear and decide we're not gonna be part of the shouting crowd. We're just not going to do that. The city clerk quieted the crowd. Now, when we think of a clerk, we think of a functionary, somebody filling out forms, keying in something on a keyboard. Uh, clerks back then had more power. They, there were some, almost like a comptroller. Uh, they controlled 
funds and projects and the like, kind of like a city mayor, manager. It, it, it was a position of power. He quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? That was, that's part of the myth, is that the gods sent down her image on earth. And uh, that's one of the signs they knew that they, this was their God. Um, therefore, since these facts are undeniable, wow, I think they're probably deniable, but not in that crowd. They'd made up their mind. They don't care about evidence. They don't care about checking who told you. No, nope. This is settled science right here. You ought to calm down and not do anything rash. If you brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess, if then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Those are mediators, kind of judges. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. Now, this fellow had no love for Paul or for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He also, he feared a God though, and that would be the Roman emperor because Rome did not like unsettledness. They did not like a lack of peace. And that, there's still an echo of that in our law today. Uh, if you are arrested and you're charged in the state of Tennessee, for example, one of the lines in there will be that you committed this offense against the peace of the people of Tennessee. And so that peace, gotta be peace. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened in that day. And in that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. After he'd said this, he dismissed the assembly. Well, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived at Greece where he stayed three months. Well, he'd stayed for years in the earlier place. Why just three months here? Because Paul, all of his life after his conversion was hunted, hunted by people who considered him a traitor to Jehovah, Yahweh, because he had accepted Christ as the son of God. He was a traitor to some who had followed Christ because he wasn't making the Christians be Jewish enough. Circumcision, holy days, those sort of things. And so after three months, look what comes next, chapter 20 and verse three, because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. So he's got them thinking he's going this way. They're headed down to the docks. He's back on the road walking to Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. He went in a group. This was the only safe way to go, especially as a hunted man. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, us. So Luke was in the group at this stage. You can go through the book of Acts and notice when he pops in and when he pops out by the use of pronouns. 
but we sailed from Philippi. So they went up and then they caught a boat somewhere people weren't looking for them to catch a boat. After the festival of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven days. Well, here we come across, let me check my time. We come across an event that will hearken back to one of the first of our Monday morning messages that was in the group called, Who Told You About? And I believe I did two on the Lord's Supper. And you can search for those on our YouTube page very easily or on our Vimeo page very easily. So let's just go into it, all right? On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That's the phrase. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That one phrase, but translated into King James, when the apostles gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread, and some of the other versions like that as well, some religious tribes, including the one in which I was raised and in which I worked for years, said that this was a binding example, that Christians were to gather on the first day of the week and take the Lord's Supper. Problem is here, break bread is a much bigger phrase than Lord's Supper. It's you got together to eat and worship while you ate because Sundays were not days off because Romans did not give you time off for religious things unless it was for Rome. You needed, um, you needed to eat while you worshiped. And so they came together to break bread. And it's another way of saying in fellowship, loving on one another. It does not bind you to anything. Do I take the Lord's Supper every week? Yes, but often more so. And just like in Acts, they broke bread, they took this supper, they shared memories of Jesus every time they gathered. Not just once a quarter, twice a year, or once a week. But it also doesn't have to be a formal chalice with wine or grape juice and unleavened bread over here. No, you've got that's not it. Breaking a bread was something different. But rather than rehash all of that, I'm just going to direct you back to those Monday morning messages. You have trouble finding them, email us at info at rsafeharbor.com and we will send you links. Give us a couple days. We're very thin on the ground and like you can see, some of us are also on the road, but we'll, we will get to you when we can. And if we don't, remind us. We don't mind reminders. Fire off another email. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, so they were able to keep going. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. That's on and on is in the Bible. Um, Paul could go on a bit. He really could. Uh, there's lessons there for all of us, I guess. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate, and after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were gratefully comforted. Um, I know it says dead, but... The dead word here is not as final as a medical coroner ruling somebody dead. So was he raised from the dead? I have no problem with that. Uh, certainly 
possible. Paul did miracles. Uh, and I think there might have been a bigger to-do had he done so, but it could be the guy was concussed, knocked out, uh, very, you know, they looked dead. And Paul's going, no, he isn't. Take care of him. Let's, you know, don't wrap him up and bury him. Let's, uh, let's take care of him. Well, they, they did have to take him home, um, but Paul kept talking until daylight. A couple of things. The people who insist that Acts chapter 20, verse 7, mean that you have to take the Lord's Supper on Sunday. Don't notice that here they didn't get around to breaking the bread until Monday. So were they wrong? Of course not. We're not supposed to grab a sentence and then proclaim a sentence on the lives of our people and say, you must do this or you lose your soul. Um, this is, it is tragic that we do things like that. With, with these wonderful stories of history, we turn them into burdens and hang them around people's necks. I recommend you remember Jesus when you break bread. Pray, talk to, talk to the people in the room, if there are other people there to talk to about Jesus, or about truth, about love, about what you can do for them. Remember Christ and break the bread. Now, I, I like that we have a separate formal Lord's Supper slash communion slash Eucharist. I really do. But let's not get carried away and think that's what always happened. All right. Now he's got to say goodbye. He says um, in verse 13, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Metalene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, by the way, aren't you glad you didn't have to read this on a Sunday morning? This wasn't a passage. All these names over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Meletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in a province of Asia. I don't blame him, chapter 19, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When he arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. He's not done, but I just want to stop and have a little pause. He loves these people. He spent years with them and these leaders of the church of Ephesus. He's saying, listen, you know, I did everything I could. I went house to house. I preached the word. I preached whatever would help you, a benefit to you. And 
I know that I'm going to die and it's going to be hard because the Holy Spirit is telling me no matter where I'm going, that's what I'm facing. So I've decided to go to Jerusalem. I've decided to go face it there. And my life just isn't worth worrying about. What's worrying about is will I finish my race? And I wanna finish my race. I really wish that I had said this because that's the way I feel. I bet it's the way many of you feel too. I'm not special. There are a lot of folk out there like that. He goes, now I know that none of you among me, let me try that again. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. In other words, I have never harmed any person. I have not harmed you in any way. I have, I have been faithful and good to you. I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of the Holy Spirit who, who is over which he has made you overseers. Overseers, by the way, bad word in America because we think of slave owners and the overseers being the guys with the whips. Could not be more different in their culture. An overseer was someone who watched a shepherd over sheep to protect them. And sheep, my goodness, from day one, sheep want to kill themselves. They will do any stupid thing to hurt themselves. So a shepherd has to be very gentle. And so these are gentle people. He's saying, be careful, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. This is a precious thing here. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Aren't you amazed at this speech? And aren't you kind of ashamed we don't teach this kind of sermon? Uh, we don't read this a lot in our public assemblies? It's just truly amazing. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and who am I talking to here? So many of you have sacrificed to allow us to do this work. And I don't ever want you to read anything I do here as trying to get you to hurt yourself more for our comfort. Every one of us on the front line works as close to the bone as we can. And I think many of you know that. You've been here, you've been around us, you've seen it. But we do it with a smile on our face because it's great work, it's wonderful work, and it is more blessed to give than to receive. So thank you to all of you. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. We're coming up on a half hour. It just reminds me, Paul was not alone here. 
this is how things were. Many years later, in the 1800s, whenever people would get on a ship off of Ireland, they, their families knew, we will never see them again. We will never get a letter from them. Letters were very difficult to get through. We will not know if we have grandchildren. We will not know if some, you know, it's, this is it. Today, when we live in a constantly connected world, this is just unthinkable, but it was their reality and they dealt with it. One day it may be our reality again. You know, if we plunge into war and lose our communications, will we be able to say goodbye and do it knowing that they are gonna be faithful and you are gonna be faithful and reunion day will be so sweet. Well, next week we hit Acts again. Soon we'll be done with Acts and hit into our next book. May God bless you all. Write us at info at rsafeharbor.com. Tune in at our YouTube page, please, and subscribe and share it with one other person this week. Thank you. God bless. Cheers.